Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, God bless you. It's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again. We are in week two of three of a little tiny mini-series right now called Rich, in which we're looking at what God wants to do with the resources that he's put in our hands. And we're following along with a three-part outline created in 1750 by a guy named John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church. He preached a sermon called The Use of Money, in which he said the three great principles of managing resources are you should gain all you can, you should save all you can, and you should give all you can. Now, we're used to pastors standing up and saying you should give all you can. Uh, it's, we're, it's a little counterintuitive to hear uh, pastors say you should save all you can, but you got to understand when Wesley said that, he didn't mean save like stockpile. He meant save as in don't waste. Don't go spend it on things you don't really need. Save it to use it for something that matters. And last week we talked about gain all you can, which you really probably don't expect a pastor to say. But we talked about the fact that when God puts resources in your hands, you can use them for powerful kingdom impact. So we started there. Today I want to look at what it means to save all you can, as in not waste it. And I want to look at one of the great teachings of Jesus on money. Last week, we looked at one of the most confusing parables of Jesus about money. Today, I want to look at one of the challenging teachings from Jesus. But as much as it's a challenging teaching, it's also a very comforting teaching. Because we see in this text that God wants to move us from a state of constant worry to a state of constant generosity. He wants to move us from worriosity to generosity. And in so doing, he's going to free us from the, the constant anxiety that we're not going to have enough to the constant desire to bless other people. And as we live into that place, we live into the place that God designed us for. God made us to love other people in Jesus' name. And as we seek to do that, he's able to put resources in our hands, knowing that we won't close down on them, we won't grip them, we'll allow him to take them and move them on to bless others when he needs them. And so we're going to dive into a a teaching of Jesus, uh, one of the famous teachings of Jesus concerning money, uh, as... Uh, as we continue. Um, I do want to say thanks uh, to all of you who uh, have been involved in the recent ministries of the church as we've kind of left the pandemic behind us and the world has opened up a bit more. Alpha has been uh, an amazing outreach. I've got some stories from Alpha to tell you uh, today. Uh, And we've got this great pantry operating on our Glendora campus now. Uh, We are a church in two locations and our Glendora campus is going to give out groceries two Saturdays of every month. So thank you to all of you who have jumped in and started volunteering with that. If you'd like to volunteer and you haven't yet, go to reallife.la pantry and you can help us continue to use the resources that God gives us to bless the world around us. Hey, before we get into the text together, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that everything that we need is already in your hands. You know what we need and you know when we need it. And I thank you that you're a good God, not a withholding God. And you want to place in our hands exactly what we need, not just to sustain us, but to allow us to have a huge kingdom impact in your name, to use the resources that you give us to grow a 
a harvest of resources that we can use to bless other people in need. So God, put us in that place where we stand in the flow of your blessings, not to collect them for ourselves, but to enjoy the, the passion of watching you change lives and being a part of that process. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right, we're going to look at, uh, uh, look at a very famous teaching of Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, starting at verse 19. This is from a, a block of teachings known as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus teaches, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. One of the, the famous lines from Jesus, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is too. If you want to see what somebody loves, what they care about, look at their, look at their record of transactions. That, that's where their heart is. John Wesley, in his sermon, The Use of Money, would write, Don't waste any part of so precious a talent. Talent was a kind of money. Don't waste any part of a precious resource merely gratifying the desires of the flesh in procuring the pleasures of sense of whatever kind, particularly in enlarging the pleasure of tasting. Right? He, he thought it was especially bad to just go out uh, uh, feeding your belly, right? just satisfying your taste buds. I do not mean avoid gluttony and drunkenness only. An honest heathen would condemn those. But there is a regular reputable kind of sensuality, a, a reputable, a, a kind that... Common people do it. Everybody does it. So it's, it's considered in good taste to spend indulgently on yourself in certain ways. And you don't think of it as greedy because everyone is doing it. I love his use of words here. A regular, reputable kind of sensuality. A kind of uh, a self-serving that everybody's doing so you don't think it's unusual. He calls it an elegant epicurism. Uh, Epicurus was a Greek philosopher who said you should just retire to your garden and enjoy life and don't worry about the world. And he says there's sort of an elegant Epicurism. Uh, um, this, is, this is moms and mimosas. You know, 9 a.m., you drop the kids off at the school, you get together in the nice backyard, the manicured backyard, and have mimosas together. That's what he's talking about. He says, he says that's, that's normal. People think that's normal, uh, but it's, it's a kind of indulgence which does not immediately disorder the stomach nor impair the understanding. And yet, it cannot be maintained without considerable expense. Cut off all this expense. Despise delicacy and variety. And be content with what plain nature requires. That's the advice of John Wesley. Uh, as, you, as you receive the resources that God gives you, there's a, there's a normal kind of spending that people around you do. And it's not drunkenness. It's not crazy. You know, you'd look at it and say, well, everybody does this. What's wrong with it? He says, he says, don't waste on things like that. Save all you can. Don't waste it on the pleasures of the flesh that are here today and gone tomorrow that just leave you wanting more. Uh, okay, back to Jesus. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great that darkness. Those are strange verses. 
right? We're, we're tracking with Jesus as he teaches us, uh, don't store up treasures on earth. Don't, don't invest in things that are going to rust and that are going to get stolen. And then he goes into this little quirky passage in verses 22 and 23 about how the eye is the lamp of the body. And modern readers look at this, and we don't know necessarily, you might not know uh, intuitively what he's talking about. What do you mean the eye is the lamp of the body? And if, there's, if the eye is dark, then the whole body's dark. What on earth is he talking about? Well, a first century reader would have known immediately what this was about because this was a common worldview. There was a kind of uh, science that later came to be known as physiognomy, which believed that parts of the body indicated what was going on with the character of a person. And you'll think this is funny when you hear it, you'll think it's strange, but they would look at a person and they would say that by looking at how the person is built, the size of their, their head or their body or the shape of their eyes, you could tell things about their character. They thought that a person with especially large eyes, they would say like the eyes of a cow, was lazy. If you had big eyes, it meant you were a lazy person. They would say that if you could see well at night, you probably had a suspicious character because you're using that to sneak around in the dark. Cicero, the famous Roman orator, would say that the, the whole character is revealed in the countenance of a person, in the face of a person, and especially in the eyes. The ancient Egyptians believed that the, the sun and the moon were the eyes of some deity and were filled with light. And in the same way, Plato, the Greek philosopher, would say that the eyes of a human being are filled with light. And the actual belief back then was that when you looked at things, your eyes cast a sort of light on them. Your eyes actually illumined things so that you could see them. And so this was a common way of thinking about the, the body in the ancient world. So what Jesus is doing here is he's riffing on a common belief. He's not necessarily endorsing the biology, but he's saying, this is how you all think about it. And, and he repeats thoughts, he repeats probably idioms that they said, the eye is the lamp of the body. The, the eye contains a light within it, as they thought back then. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If the things that you use to look at the world are operating correctly, your, your body will be filled with goodness. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great the darkness. If, if the thing that you use to look at the world is broken, you're going to see the world wrongly. You're not going to cast healthy light on things. You're going to see things with darkness. So in other words, if your whole heart is filled with greediness, if you run around the world looking at things as there to serve you, as how you can use them for yourself, you're going to cast a, a negative light on everything. Uh, that's what Jesus is saying here. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one or love the other, or you will be devoted one, devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We saw that verse last week uh, in another uh, text where, God, where Jesus says the same thing. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not, the li is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. 
They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon, King Solomon, the great rich king of the Hebrew Scriptures, even King Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is calling us to leave worryosity so that we might lead lives of generosity. He's calling us to see God for who God is, to realize that God loves us passionately and is entirely capable of intervening in this world to take care of us. If we will only place ourselves in God's hands, God isn't longing to, to starve us and make us miserable. Put him first and everything else will be taken care of as well. And then you can move from a constant state of worry about how you provide for yourself to a state of eagerness in which you can care for and provide for others. Wesley again writes, Having gained all you can by honest wisdom and unwearied diligence by working hard, the second rule of Christian prudence is save all you can. Do not throw the precious talent into the sea. Remember, a talent was, was a coin in the time of the, the biblical world, right? So don't throw money into the sea. Leave that folly to the heathen. Do not throw it away in idle expenses, which is just the same as throwing it into the sea. Expend no part of it merely to gratify the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eye, or the pride of life. When God gives you resources, don't expend them frivolously, even if it's in a socially acceptable way, just because everyone around you is doing the same thing. Instead, pause and look at the power of the resources that God puts in your hand and the intention of the God who loves you and who wants to care for other people through you. When we give out groceries on our Glendora campus, Every single person who drives through the line to pick up groceries is a precious child of God in a state of need and often anxiety. And God looks down on them and says, I want so much for that child of mine to know that they are loved and cared for and provided for. Would not the church care for them? Take the resources that I give you and pass them on to those who are in need. Please, church, care for my children. That's the heart of God. I want to give you resources, not so you can hoard them, but so that you can care for people in need. Pass on to them your lack of worry so that my children might not worry. Pass on to them your generosity so that they might learn to live lives of generosity. Any faithful Christian pastor seeking to talk about money has to steer between two obstacles. Uh, you know, in the, uh, the ancient book, The Odyssey by Homer, the ancient Greek book, The Odyssey, uh, Odysseus, who's this sailor, has to sail in between 
uh, two dangerous things. There's some sharp rocks on one side and there's a whirlpool on the other and he has to sail in between them. If he goes too far on this side, he'll crash against the rocks. If he goes too far on this side, he'll get sucked into the whirlpool. He has to sail in between them. And that's sort of become an idiom in the modern world of uh, uh, sail in between um, uh, the two, two dangerous things. We won't get into the, the fancy Greek words. But a good, good faithful Christian preacher has to sail between two obstacles here. On the one hand, there's a risk that we would preach a prosperity gospel which says that if you're faithful, God will make you rich and you could just spend it all on yourself and live a luxurious life. And on the other hand, there's the danger that a Christian preacher would say, God hates money. You're supposed to live a, an impoverished life. You're supposed to suffer your way through this life. Take up your cross and just be miserable. And neither of those is correct. I think we know often enough that the, the preacher on television uh, driving, you know, uh, uh, Lamborghinis and living in multi-million dollar mansions is preaching a prosperity gospel and is using the resources that God's given him for his own indulgences. I, I think we can call that one out pretty fast. We tend to, in, our, in American culture, we tend to have a pretty good sniffer for that one. But I think there's a temptation in the churches that we assume that what God wants us to be is absolutely just cheap. That God wants us to be misers. And, and there's, a, there, there's a difference between somebody who's absolutely just stingy and someone who is saving all they can to have a kingdom impact in the name of Jesus. The, the problem is those two things can look a lot alike, though they are very different. Uh, imagine... Imagine out in a, a, a field, out in a grassy field, uh, you see a, a pile of something that a, a horse would leave behind the way horses do. Right? Now, now imagine uh, a kid takes a, a chocolate Easter bunny from uh, the Easter egg hunt and goes out in the field and leaves the, Easter egg, the chocolate Easter bunny out in the field and it melts into kind of a, a pile of chocolate in the field, right? Which is a waste of perfectly good chocolate, but imagine that. Now from a distance, those two things might look a lot alike. But up close, they don't smell the same. And someone who is living an absolutely stingy, miserly, selfish life, from a distance, might look like a Christian who's trying to save all they can. But up close, they don't smell the same. And here's the difference. A Christian is called to live as though the resources that they have in their hands are not theirs. They are not put in our hands for our indulgences. They are put in our hands as tools to be used for the kingdom. Everything that God gives us is a tool to be used for God's kingdom. Imagine if we took every resource that came into our hands, financial or otherwise, and said, what can God do with this? Imagine how differently we would treat it. If when we got our hands on it, we thought, ah, good, this is for me, I can enjoy this. From a distance, the two may look the same. The person being stingy and saving everything they can might look a lot like a Christian trying to save all they can, but their hearts are in very different places, and the results are very different. A, a miser goes chasing after every dollar they can. They store it up and they plan for the future. They often have a lot in savings because they're preparing. They, they spend very frugally on themselves. They don't, they don't indulge a lot. They, they live cheap lives. And at the end of their lives, all of that saving and all of that preparation 
makes them absolutely miserable because they're just as worried as they always were. A Christian who lives to save all they can, in other words, not waste what they're given, looks very similar. They go chasing after dollars. They save up and plan for the future. They expect expenses so that when they come, they're ready for them. They don't spend a lot on themselves. They look very frugal. But when the time comes, they use their resources in kingdom impact work to bless others. And nothing makes you happier than that. Nothing makes you happier than knowing that your love for another person transformed them. That God's love poured through you transformed someone else's life. There is not a better experience than that. The difference between the two is, is like this. Uh, imagine somebody who's just living selfishly. They're just living a miserly life. They're just saving money for themselves. And contrast that person with somebody who, who I once knew, actually, a, a guy, a businessman who had a, a son who was severely developmentally disabled and who was going to need care throughout his entire life. This father knew that he needed to save all that he could because he was going to have to pass it on to provide for the care of his son after he was gone. His son was not going to be able to work into a place where he could have a job that provided for himself. And so this father was desperate to save enough money so that he could provide for his son's care after he was gone. He chased every dollar. He saved up and planned for the future. He spent very little on himself. He wasn't indulgent. But he did it all for love. He did it all because he wanted to care for someone else. The person who's living for worry and the person who's li living for generosity might look the same from a distance, but they don't smell the same up close. And one of them usually ends up being miserable, whereas the person who lives for love ends up experiencing God's grace in his heart. Jesus has called you and I to be missionaries in a world in need. And when he provides resources for us, it is not so we can settle into the American dream and just enjoy our lives. It's so that we can be equipped for the mission to which we're called. A mission of loving lost people in Jesus' name so that they would know the Father and enter into a relationship with him so that they themselves could leave behind their worry and turn and live lives of generosity themselves. Imagine that infection spreading throughout our culture and our world. Imagine the Christian church living as though we believed all that we have belonged to God and was given to us as a tool in ministry to make his love known. You and I are gathered together as a church and called to invest in the kingdom. And the day is going to come in the not too distant future where here at Real Life Church, we have to think about uh, buying our next property. Uh, we've been talking about this for probably a year now. And uh, as you know, a pathway has been made for us to get us to where we are. Somebody gave us a property in Glendora last year, and it's, it's not big enough for us to move our entire worshiping congregation into it. Um, two weeks ago, we had the largest attendance in person that we've had since the pandemic began. And then this last weekend, it was even bigger. 
We, we couldn't move into the Glendora campus. We wouldn't fit even in two services over there. And even if we went to three services over there, we wouldn't have any room to grow. So, so the Glendora campus is going to serve as a, a satellite location. We'll have worship services there starting in April, and it will serve as our preschool. But we're going to need a, a second uh, property here before too long. And as you know, somebody stepped forward and placed a half a million dollar pledge towards us purchasing our next property. Before too long, we're going to need to pray together about the kind of impact we want Jesus to make through us and expanding the territory of the church so that we can love more people in Jesus' name. I don't want you to give yet, and this isn't a call for donations. I just want you to start praying about how God will use the resources he's given you to make his name known. Some of us simply need to take seriously the biblical call to tithe. To give 10% of our income to building the kingdom of heaven on earth. It would be a shame to go through your entire life and never once take up the challenge that the Bible is so clear about. God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and see if I don't open the floodgates of heaven and pour out on you more than you know what to do with. And so many of us, so many of us followers of Jesus look right into the eyes of that promise and over an entire lifetime simply ignore it. Because we're living lives of worriosity and never, a free, and never achieve the freedom of generosity. Jesus wants to make us free. And we are free when we are generous, not when we're loaded to excess. So, the, uh, the, the call is coming before us. Uh, and uh, as we approach this call, uh, I'm watching God move around us. Uh, we've opened up our uh, pantry now, and we're sharing God's gifts in ways that we, thus far as a church, haven't been able to do. It's a new opportunity, and it will increase the impact of our church. And as we do that, God is showing me markers that we're on the right path. And I saw one of them just this last week. I told you I'd tell you a little bit more about Alpha. For those of you who are turning in, tuning in for the first time, Alpha is a ministry that we offer here at Real Life Church where we gather in a restaurant, in Frisella's restaurant over here in Glendora, and we offer a free meal for anybody who wants to walk in off the street and have dinner with us. The first week of our Alpha curriculum this year was the largest one we've ever had. We gather together, have dinner, we watch a little 20-minute video, and then we sit around the tables and discuss what we watched. And it's an introduction to the Christian faith for people who might not be ready to go to church. Well, this last week, something interesting happened during Alpha. There were patrons of the restaurant who were just there to have dinner. They weren't with us. They were just there to, to have dinner. And, you know, we run our, uh, our curriculum on one side of the restaurant, and they were eating on the other. And some patrons of the restaurant summoned over one of our staff members. And our staff actually thought, we're probably in trouble because we're making too much noise. And he went over to the table and he said, hi, can I help you? And the man seated at this table, who again wasn't with us, he hadn't come to the restaurant for Alpha. The man said to our staff member, I'm, I'm so thankful to see a church that's bold in declaring the truth. And I want to make a donation to your church. And right there at the table, he opened up our church website, reallife.la, hit the give button, and made a generous donation right there sitting in the restaurant. 
Now think about who that guy is. He's never been to our church. He doesn't know who we are. And he had gone out for dinner. I mean, I don't know about you, but I got to dinner. I think, how much is this going to cost? He had gone out to dinner with his family. And, and in the midst of that, had prepared himself for the time where God would use him to bless other people. He had obviously saved resources to be ready at a moment's notice to give generously when he saw God's hand at work. On top of that, he had prepared his heart to say, the resources that God puts in my hands are not for me to hoard. They're not even necessarily for me to use for my own necessities. They are there for me to be ready to give at a moment's notice when I see God on the move. And do you think that God brought that man into our midst during a series in which we're talking about generosities on the weekends by accident? Do you think that's just a coincidence? Or do you think God knows exactly what he's doing? What was going on there was God was saying, I, I'm watching you. I see how you use the resources that I've given you. I see how you use the, the church that I've given you. I see how your, your members use the resources like their restaurants. And my hand rests on you. Trust in me and put me first. And all the things you need will be added to you as well. Don't worry about your clothes or what, you, what you'll wear. Don't worry about your food or what you'll eat. I provide for the birds, and you're worth more to me than them. Just trust me. And the good news is, when we live according to the promises of the one who made us, we find out that our bodies are designed exactly the way he designed them to be. That, that when we live according to his promises, we bear the fruit of that obedience in our very bodies. A study was done in 2016 in Zurich over in Europe where they brought in groups of people, divided them in half, and they did a study on how their brains acted when they thought about generosity. The first group, they said, you're going to be given $100 to spend on yourself, and we want you to imagine how you will spend that money on yourself. And they, they wired them up and studied their brain activity as they thought about this and answered these questions. The second group, they said, we're going to give you $100. You have to spend it on someone else. You're going to take this and you're going to go buy a gift for a friend. And we want you to imagine exactly which friend it is and exactly what gift you're going to buy and how that person will react to it. And then they, they studied uh, how the parts of their brain uh, were stimulated by that imagination. And they, uh, and they, um, they gave them uh, survey questions to study how their, their mood changed through the course of the study. Well, the people who spent time reflecting on how they would spend money on themselves ended up across the board at a lower level of happiness than people who sat there and imagined how they would spend money on a friend. Then they were asked further questions, further survey questions, and it revealed that the people who had been given, were going to be given money to spend on a friend, continued to make decisions that erred in the direction of generosity rather than selfishness versus the previous group that tended to make decisions more towards selfishness rather than generosity. And as a consequence, the people who were concentrated on generosity reported higher levels of happiness again. So they got in this cycle of imagining being generous and feeling happy, and then imagining being generous some more and feeling happier. What, is it any surprise that the one who designed us made us so that our bodies themselves manifest the fruit of God's grace when we live in obedience to his teachings.
Jesus calls you and I to take the resources that he gives us and use them to bless a world in need. Not to live in a state of worriosity, but in a state of generosity. Not to live concerned that we won't have enough, but instead to live eager to use what we have to care for those in need. That's the word for today. Go and live a life of grace and generosity and watch what God, God does through you. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that, that you do know exactly what we need. And I thank you that you want to take worry away from us and replace it with generosity. So help us to see clearly. May, may the eyes as the, the lamp of our bodies see clearly the resources that you place in our hands. May we never forget that they are tools for your kingdom work on this earth. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.